Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be looking at Augustine's conception of heaven. What did he think heaven was going to be like, considering in light of his Platonistic philosophy, theology? And we're going to be relying a little bit on, for a general overview, on this biblical hermeneutics in historical perspective essay. And this essay is on... Vile Bodies, Paul and Augustine on the Resurrection of the Flesh. In this work, he describes the universe from a Neoplatonic perspective. He says, We should envision a series of concentric glass spheres. The outermost and uppermost is also the most divine. The realm of celestial ether and the fixed stars. As we move inward or downward, we encounter motion the spheres of the five planets known to antiquity the sun the moon below the moon in contrast to the harmony and increasing perfection of the upper spheres matter grew thick sinister maddeningly mutable demons and souls of the deads necessarily congested the sublunar atmosphere below this finally at the center of the world where the heaviest matter had sunk stood the earth this model of the universe was presupposed and confirmed by science and astrology, by astral tours, by dreams, and by visions. And so this model of the universe in Neoplatonism is one in which the farther you get away from the center, the less change there is, the less mutability there is, the more, more people become immutable, unchanging. The realm of the ideas lay on these outermost layers. And on the inner layers, where, where mankind has sunk and present, presently lives, is where the mutable matter resides. This is the realm of the soul, the realm of the earth that, that holds us down. And so remember, Neoplatonism is an escape from the decayed world, from the descension into mutability, and it's about ascending to the immutable. And so Augustine, what he's teaching these peasants in Africa is how to cleanse your soul and ascend and ultimately gain access to the one through introspective meditation. This is his theology. And so he needs a model in which heaven can, it's not going to be like a heaven like you you might see in like all dogs go to heaven where there's clouds and people jumping around and they're, they're talking and they're interacting. This heaven has to be a specific type of heaven that reaches his ideal state in which things are less mutable towards immutability, towards unchanging. So what does that look like? I think it'd be beneficial to contrast Augustine's view with normal Jewish views about what redemption is going to look like, what uh, the post-apocalyptic world in which God comes back and rights the wrongs on earth and establishes a kingdom of, on earth, what that looks like. And here's what he writes. Jewish opinions on the resurrection are so varied and numerous that sure vermis presents from reviewing them. So shall I. But I would emphasize the following. 
First, the idea of a personal physical resurrection represents and affirms a particular theodicity, declaring that God is just and thus will vindicate the righteousness and, in those writings that hold to a general resurrection and final judgment, punish the wicked. Second, the medium of this redemption is history, the focus both on human person and the earth itself. From this, two further observations. The person is identified not with the soul, but with the soul and body taken together. This anthropology is dichotomous, but not dualistic. And the insistence on terrestrial redemption, the insistence that the quality of physical existence, but not the fundamental fact of physical existence itself, would be changed, serves to affirm creation. Further, where individuals rise and are judged together as individuals, the fundamental metaphors are social eating together, worshiping together, living at peace with one another. Finally, given the idiom of the Babylonian captivity in which much of this construct is expressed, Jewish restoration theology is, at least implicitly but often explicitly, political. The image of an eschatological society serves as a counterpoint to and a com commentary on current unrighteous kingdoms that will be displaced by the kingdom of God. So God's kingdom in Jewish apocalyptic theology, even in the book of Revelations, which is highly reliant on other parts of the Bible, is that God is going to return to earth. He's going to destroy existing kingdoms. He's going to set up a new kingdom. Um, he's going to install maybe a ruler in this kingdom, or he himself is going to be ruling in this system, or there's going to be co-rulers in this system who uh, gives more immediate justice to the world fixes the world's wrongs. And you often have ideas in the Bible of people subservient kingdoms bringing tribute to this kingdom. So what Jewish apocalypticism was, was a reformatting of the earth, an overthrow of existing political systems, and an implementation of a new political system. It's not the escapism in modern Christianity. Oh, you die and go to heaven and sit on clouds. It's not the escapism in Neoplatonism. We're not trying to ascend to new realms. It's a reformation of the earth. God is going to revamp the earth, change existing social systems, social structures, political structures, and implement a righteous rulership, a righteous sovereignty over the earth for more immediate justice. And that's the Jewish apocalyptic hope. Skipping forward, this is Augustine and how he viewed salvation. In view of this radical agnosticism, history cannot serve for Augustine as the prime medium of salvation. He emphasizes rather the individual as the locus and focus of God's saving grace, and so exegetically relocating the center of gravity of Paul's letter to the Romans from chapters 9 through 11 to chapter 7. Augustine plays stunningly creative variations on the theme of Christian millenarianism. The fleshly body will be raised spiritual, he insists, with Paul, but spiritual to Augustine refers not to the body's substance so much as its moral orientation. The risen body will be morally transformed, but it will be corporal. It will even have gender. Women, too, shall be women as raised. So this is actually very important. So Augustine did believe in a resurrection of a corporeal-type body, that would be linked to our souls. But th this, this body serves a specific purpose to help us reach this enlightenment where we could view the one. This, this moral body 
would be free of fleshly desires. It's, it's our flesh that wants uh, the good things of this life. It's our flesh that wants candy and pleasure and uh, jet skiing and things like that. This new body would be built in such a way that it would, it would delete all these types of uh, desires within us. And in that way, it's going to ground us so that our soul can see God. It, 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 it destroys our fleshly ties so that our soul can see and vision God. He writes, But this raised and morally perfected body will not dwell on the transformed earth. Define both ancient Christian tradition and contemporary scientific thinking. Augustine insists that these corporal bodies will dwell in the heavens. The kingdom of God will not come on earth. Apocalyptic traditions of agricultural and human fidelity and social harmony thus drop out of Augustine's picture. No food, sex, or social relations in the kingdom. His saved individuals in their perfected 33-year-old's bodies stand in camaraderie, contemplation of the beific vision of God. So what this is saying is, is in, in Augustine's conception, we're going to be given these perfect bodies. We're going to ascend the, the lowest realms of the soul. We're going to move to the upper realms that are closer to God. And then we're going to stand around. All the Christians are going to just stand in introspective contemplation for the one. Remember, that's the highest level of existence is the one. And so that's our ultimate goal that we're, we're moving towards. And so our bodies are not going to keep us chained to the ground and our souls will, will all be able to see the one. So now we're going to turn to Augustine's last chapter in his book, The City of God. And this is the chapter in which he deals with resurrection and what he conceives of how resurrection is going to be handled. And there's actually a pretty funny chapter in here. Uh, there's a lot of funny chapters in here because a lot of people had questions which seemed to us fairly ridiculous back in the day. And then he addresses these questions. And uh, it, one of his interesting arguments was with the Platonists. Uh, you remember he's a Platonist. The Platonists had disputes among each other. Even Plotinus uh, treats the Gnostics in several of his works. This is the intra-Platonistic debate among competing sects of Platonists. And so they're using all their Platonistic arguments. And so this is talking about this argument here uh, against the Platonists is about this model of the world in which the world we live in is the lowest center of mass, the heaviest. And the lighter things, the le less changing, the things that are not imbued with this changeable, mutable, bad matter that corrupts us, those things are at the lowest. And so the Platonists, they argue that our bodies can't resurrect and go into the heavenly spheres. And uh, Augustine retorts and he makes all sorts of arguments why, in fact, our bodies can go into the heavenly spheres. Here's, here's some of what he says. For Aristotle said that a soul was a fifth body, while Plato denied it was a body at all. If it were a fifth body, then certainly it would be above the rest, all the other bodies that are more weighty. And if not a body at all, so much more does it rise above all. What then does it do to an earthly body? What does this soul, which is finer than all else, do to such a mass of matter as this? What does the lightest of substances do in this ponderosity? This swiftest substance in such sluggishness, will not the body be raised to heaven by virtue of so excellent a nature as of this. And so 
if you combine a, a super spiritual body to a weighed down body, then you could fly into the heavens is, is the idea here. And if now earthly bodies can retain the souls below, shall not the souls be one day able to raise the earthly bodies above? Uh, it's kind of like a balloon. The, the, our souls are going <laughs> to shoot us into the heavens. So scrolling down, basically he argues that we're not going to be raised with any corruption in our bodies nor physical defect. Um, we're going to be, like, like the paper said, basically perfect 33-year-old bodies sitting around in contemplation of the one. In true Augustinian fashion, he repeats the same ideas over and over again. He already has talked about there being no defects, but scrolling down, he goes into it very in detail. It's like, what, what about hair and nails? Oh, man. Um, how do they fall apart? Do they come off? Or, or if, if we have manicured nails, do the nails stay the same? Um, these are his concerns. And uh, basically, our bodies are not going to decay is, is what he comes away with. And consequently, overgrown and emancipated persons need not fear that they shall be in heaven for such a figure as they would not even in this world if they could help it. That means the fat people, there's not going to be fat people in heaven. Huh? Maybe, maybe, and emancipated, so it's not like all the really skinny people either. It's just going to be just the normal body type of people in heaven. Yeah, that's sounding pretty good. But then in chapter 26 of this last book of City of God, he starts talking about the opinion of Pulfrey. And Pulfrey makes a pretty good point, if you're a Platonist. That the soul, in order to be blessed, must be separated from every kind of body. Now, now this, this is an interesting argument. So the body represents material. The body represents change. The body represents decay. And Palfrey is saying, this Christian view of a resurrected body, even if it's a spiritual body that Augustine argues for, um, it, it, can't, it can't actually see the one. It, in order to be blessed, it has to be that completely divested from bodily concerns and here's augustine's argument and it's actually quite ingenious to the extent that it's uh <laughs> that it's just explaining away this difficulty within platonism but basically we'll go ahead and read it here but they say Pulfrey tells us that the soul in order to be blessed must escape connection with every kind of body it does not avail, therefore, to say that the future body shall be incorruptible, if the soul cannot be blessed till it delivered from every kind of body. But, in the book above I mentioned, I already sufficiently discussed this. This one thing only I will repeat. Let Plato, their master, correct his writings, and say that their gods, in order to be blessed, must quit their bodies, or in other words, die. For he said that they were shut up in celestial bodies, and that, nevertheless, the God who made them promised them immortality. That is to say, an eternal tenure in these same bodies, such as was not provided for them naturally, but only by the further intervention of his will, that thus they might be assured felicity. And so basically he's saying, oh, oh, Plato basically agrees that you can have a body and can attain this blessed state with the one which you could contemplate God, you get this immortality, that's kind of inherent because you're in this status. But scrolling down, here's where his kind of genius in a Platonistic way starts shining. He says, 
It is not then necessary to the blessedness of the soul that it be detached from a body of any kind whatever, but that it receives an incorruptible body. And in what incorruptible body will they more suitably rejoice than, than that in which they groaned when it was corruptible? For thus they shall not feel that dire craving which in Virgil, in imitation of Plato, has ascribed to them when he says that they wish to return again to the body. So souls have a natural craving for bodies in Augustine's theology. And so if the souls were separated from the bodies, as Pulphery argues that they should be to get receive blessedness, then they would fall again. So Augustine's way to salvage this is to say, well, they are given a body, and so that satisfies that craving. And because that craving is satisfied, now they're able to attain blessedness uh, in, in this blessed contemplation, attain that in perpetuity. They, they're going to be able to do that forever because they won't have any downward pulls on their body. And because their flesh also is in this resurrected state, that, that body itself won't want uh, material desires and won't pull it downwards. So he's basically claiming that the only way that you could be in this blessed state is if you do have a body uh, to, to situate the soul and to give the soul no reason to downward ascend. Uh, you have to have a body in order to do that. So, he says, Porphyry, you, sh you need to have a body. It's required by Platonistic systems to have a body or else you're going to be pulled downward into the material changing world. <laughs> Thank you, Augustine. Uh, very, very brilliant. They shall not, I say, feel this desire to return to their bodies since they shall have those bodies to which a return was desired and shall indeed be in such thorough possession of them that they shall never lose them for even a briefest moment, nor ever lay them down in death. All right, so we've briefly covered that we are going to get resurrected bodies within Augustine's theology. These are going to be spiritual bodies without any blemishes, no fat people, and that these bodies are going to be perfected bodies that won't desire the things of the world. And so these bodies were, are going to be reunited with our soul so that our soul has no desire to descend into the toil of the material world, into this destructive change and destructive matter and material. And so what do we do? Let, let's, let's look at what we do in heaven, according to Augustine, on the beific vision. He first admits he's at a loss to understand the nature of what our day-to-day -day activities are going to be. But then he starts talking about our contemplation of God. But as we shall one day be made to participate according to our slender capacity in his peace, both in ourselves and with our neighbor and with God our chief good, in this respect, the angels understand the peace of God in their own measure and men too though now far behind them, whatever spiritual advance they have made. Then he has all sorts of quotes about seeing through glass darkly, but we're going to see clearly in the resurrection. Skipping down, he says, This vision is reserved as a reward for our faith, our vision of God. And of it, the Apostle John also says, When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. By the face of God, we are to understand his manifestation and not a part of the body similar to that which our bodies we call by that name. 
So we're going to be able to see directly into the, the sphere, the realm of the one to contemplate God directly. Remember, this is what Augustine did throughout his life. Uh, he did various introspective meditations in order to try to achieve this state on earth. Um, but his flesh was weak. It always pulled him down. And he's not able to achieve this, this beific vision in, in this world. This is his hope for the resurrection. This is his hope for what heaven is going to be. This is his hope for salvation, that he will be put into this new body, which will allow him to perpetually be in a state of this inward contemplation of God. This part's interesting, but this question arises whether when their eyes are open, they shall see him, God, with the bodily eye. If the eyes of the spiritual body have no more power than the eyes which we now possess, manifestly God cannot see with them. They must be of a different power if they can look upon that incorporeal nature which is not contained in any place, but is all in every place. He spends quite a few paragraphs just talking about do we see God with our body's eyes or not or with our mind's eye or and God can't be seen because God doesn't actually have a body and he's spirit, which means you can't see him with your eyes. And he spends a whole lot of time on this. This is just very typical of Augustine's work is he just repeats over and over and over again. So it's like I can't sometimes get to the point. But he says this, God will be known by us and shall be so much more before us that we shall see him by the spirit in ourselves, in another, in himself, in the new heavens and in the new earth, in every created thing which shall then exist. And also by the body, we shall see him in every body, which the keen vision of the eye of the spiritual body shall reach. Our thoughts shall also be visible to all for then shall be fulfilled the words of the apostle. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest of the thoughts of the heart, and then shall everyone have praises of God. And so in Augustine's idea of heaven, not only are we viewing God, but we also could see through the eyes of others what their thoughts are and how they're viewing God. We become maybe like a Borg collective, maybe might be uh, Star Trek reference that most suitably describes we become a collective consciousness, uh, maybe some sort of uh, Eastern Eastern religious thing. And remember, Platonism does does uh, hail from the East. There's a lot of Eastern influence in Platonism. He broaches the question of do our bodies walk around? Do we do work? And his answer is not quite. Um, we don't actually have needs in this new body, and so there's really no need for movement. He says, nevertheless, I will say that in any case, both in motion and at rest, they shall be, as in their appearance, seemly. For into that state, nothing which is unseemly shall be admitted. One thing is certain, that the body shall immediately be wherever the spirit wills, and the spirit shall will nothing which is unbecoming, either to the spirit or to the body. True honor shall be there, for it shall be denied to none who is worthy. So we scroll down and Augustine describes free will. Now, Augustine throughout his works affirms free will, um, but uh, he's using kind of like a Calvinist definition of it in which free will is like the ability to do whatever you most desire. It's not really quite a tr free true will. So here's what he says about free will in heaven. Neither are we supposed that because sin shall have no power to delight them, free will must be withdrawn. 
He says, even though our bodies are in this state in which they will not want any sinful things, there, there's no temptation, that doesn't mean we lack free will. It will, on the contrary, be all the more truly free because set free from delight in sinning to take unfailing delight is in not sinning. He says we're even more free because sin is bondage. It's our sin natures constrain us. And so without those constraints, then we're more free than we were before when we were in the sin bondage where this sin was overpowering in our will. That's his idea. For the first freedom of will which man received when he was created upright consisted in an ability not to sin, but also in ability to sin, whereas the last freedom of will shall be superior insomuch as it shall not be able to sin. This indeed shall not be a natural ability, but the gift of God. For it is one thing to be God, another thing to be partaker of God. God by nature cannot sin, but the partaker of God receives this inability from God. And in this divine gift, there was to be observed this graduation that man should first receive a free will by which he is able not to sin, and at last a free will by which he was not able to sin, the former being adapted to the acquiring of merit, the latter to the enjoying of the reward. This is really free will because we're not in bondage by sin. It, this is a superior type of will because there's no sin involved. Augustine describes us that we won't be familiar, we won't have the being weighed down with our past sins, but what are we going to do each day? We're going to be in a perpetual Sabbath in which there's no work in which we sit in rest in contemplation of God. And uh, he does that through a very beloved paragraph, but uh, I will sum up with his last sentence. This knowledge shall be perfected when we shall be perfectly at rest and shall perfectly know that he is God we sit in silent contemplation of God. After this period, God shall rest. After the period of the six days, and we're on the seventh. After this period, God shall rest as on the seventh day, when he shall give us, who shall be the seventh day, rest in himself. But there is not now space to treat of these ages. Suffice to say that the seventh shall be our Sabbath, which shall be brought to a close, not by an evening, but by the Lord's day, as an eighth and eternal day, consecrated by the resurrection of Christ and prefiguring the eternal repose, not only of the spirit, but also of the body. There we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise. I'm going to kind of read that again. He says this, that which shall be brought to close, not by evening, but by the Lord's day, as an eighth and eternal day. So this is going to be an eighth eternal day consecrated by the resurrection of Christ and prefiguring the eternal repose. Not only the spirit, but also the body. So we're going to be in eternal contemplation, eternal rest. There we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise. So we're going to be sitting in this contemplation. This is what shall be in the end without end. For what other end do we propose to ourselves than to attain to the kingdom of which there is no end? This is what we'll do for all eternity, this eternal contemplation. I think I have now, by God's help, discharged my obligation in writing this large work because this is the city of God. This is his, the culmination of his entire work. What does heaven look like? And to Augustine, his idea of heaven is the platonic spheres of being, and we would be resurrected bodies, spiritual bodies with souls, at the outer fringes of the, the known universe, 
sitting in eternal contemplation of the one. I got one more work I'd like to talk about of Augustine's about what is Jesus going to be doing in the resurrection. And what's that answer? I'm, I'm going to guess you're going to be able to guess that. So now we turn to Augustine's work on responses to miscellaneous questions. And he talks about how Jesus is subject to God. And uh, at the end of all of this, in, in his paragraph 10, or his 10th point, he talks about what Jesus is going to do in heaven. And he says this, it is not unreasonable then if we understand then also the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him as pertaining not only to the Son who is the head of the church, but also to the saints with him who are one in Christ, one seed of Abraham, subjected, however, to the contemplation of eternal truth so as to attain to beatitude while no inclination of the soul and no part of the body offers any resistance. Thus, insomuch as no one loves his own power in that life, God will be all in all. And so in Augustine's conception, our bodies are going to be raised much like the body of Christ. And since Christ still has a body, that body is going to be among the saints who sit in an eternal, beautific contemplation of the one. So th these are Augustine's ideas. So very strange. Um, we're not really familiar with these because we, we really don't uh, ascribe to the Platonistic cosmology model although we do kind of ascribe to our hypostases of being. And so you get more of the escapism ideas within Christianity. But in Augustine's ideas, the world was a layer of dissensions based on how mutable, how corruptible, how material something was. And the outermost realms were the lightest and least changing and the least mutable, the most immutable layers and from those layers, we are able to sit in contemplation of God if we are given a certain type of body that prevents our soul from desiring decline, desiring declension into the material world. If we're given this type of safeguard, our souls would be forever able to view God in perpetuality. And we'd all be around in our perfected 33-year-old bodies, uh, all contemplating the one together with the body of Christ in the midst of us so that we're e eternal collective consciousness linked to the one. All right, heavy stuff, I guess. Um, any questions and comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for listening.